this is Craig Brown, and welcome to Passages. Passages is a space to explore Bible passages used for preaching, reflection, and prayer. My hope is that Passages will shine a unique light on text used for preaching at the First Free Methodist Church of Seattle, or for anyone looking to dive deeper into the Bible. Today's passage is taken from the book of Zechariah, chapter 8, verses 1 to 8. It's the basis for the sermon at First Free Methodist Church on September 24, 2023. It's part of our series called Vitality, Rest, Renew, Reset, as we live into a life of renewal. Let's hear this text from Zechariah chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. I'll be reading from the New American Standard Bible. It's 2020 revision. Beginning at verse 1. Then the word of the Lord of armies came to me, saying, The Lord of armies says this, I am exceedingly jealous for Zion. Yes, with great wrath I am jealous for her. The Lord says this, I will return to Zion and dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the city of truth, and the mountain of the Lord of armies will be called the holy mountain. The Lord of armies says this, Old men and old women will again sit in the public squares of Jerusalem, each person with his staff in his hand because of age. And the public squares of the city will be filled with boys and girls playing in its squares. The Lord of Armies says this, If it is too difficult in the sight of the remnant of this people in those days, will it also be too difficult in my sight, declares the Lord of Armies? The Lord of Armies says this, Behold, I am going to save my people from the land of the east and from the land of the west, and I will bring them back, and they will live in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in truth and righteousness. This is a rich text from the book of Zechariah, and throughout this series of messages in our Vitality series, we're mostly using scripture references from post-exilic prophets. In other words, these are the last three prophetic books of what we call the Old Testament or Jewish scripture, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Now, what that means is that these post-exilic prophets were prophets whose writings we have that followed the exile of the Jews in Babylon. And to give this again context, the Neo-Babylonian Empire conquered uh, the southern kingdom of Judah in three different waves in 605, 597, and 586 BCE and ended up taking a majority of the inhabitants of the city of Jerusalem and the surrounding area into exile in Babylon. After about 67 years, there was a regime change in Babylon between the Neo-Babylonian Empire and the Persian Empire, and after which the Jews were allowed to return home, although under Persian control. And so these three prophets, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, uh, bring messages to these, uh, uh, to these Jews who had returned, who are, were often called the remnant or the righteous remnant that came back from exile. It was a fraction of the people that went into exile about 70 years earlier. This particular text in Zechariah 8 is one of the most hopeful and hope-filled texts in the entire book. The chapter that precedes it, chapter 7, is a, a rough text of rebuke for the Jews that had returned from Babylon. So chapter 8 is a really hopeful text that we turn to this week. 
even in these eight short verses, there are five different short oracles that somehow uh, encapsulate maybe a different sermons or preachings or teachings of the prophet Zechariah. We're going to look at each of these oracles one at a time with a key passageway for each one. The first one is in verses 1 and 2 of Zechariah chapter 8. It talks about, at the very beginning of this chapter, chapter 1, uh, a title that's used throughout the book and in other post-exilic prophets. It's called the Lord of Armies. And there, it's used throughout these first eight verses as a way of introducing that which God might say. Uh, another way to render this might be Lord of Hosts or Lord, Lord of the Almighty. It's, it's a definition of who God is defined by power and authority that God is the Lord over all of the heavenly host. And so that there is no power or authority greater than that which God is. And this becomes important in verses 1 to eight, one and 2, because it's in this particular text that we begin to read about the, the jealousy of the Lord. It says, I am exceedingly jealous for Zion. Yes, with great wrath, I am jealous for her. His jealousy is a, a double-edged sword on God's part, and, and both parts are important for us to hear. It, it's about this sense of God's call on the people who had come back from exile and had inhabited Jerusalem. This Jewish community trying to find its way. The message first is that God says, I am jealous for her. Uh, Zion being referenced uh, uh, in a, um, uh, a feminine sort of way. Zion is the name of the mountain where Jerusalem is located. And so there's a desire on God's part to be near and close, to, to have a proximity to his people. But then in the second part of that verse, it says that God has a great wrath, for I am jealous for her. Uh, this great wrath you know, conjures up the ideas of, of, uh, uh, of a romantic relationship almost, if you will. There are other prophets that we know of in the, uh, in the Jewish scripture like Hosea and others that oftentimes depict uh, Israel or the Judeans as being like a, a prostitute that have forsaken the way of God and have left God like a, a, an abandoned lover. And so this particular passage has a lot of intimacy in it that God is, is filled with a sense of wrath out of jealousy for God's people. And it, it opens a key passageway to us that God's eternal movement is toward us. You know, as Wesleyan people, in other words, uh, those who come from the school of theology that John Wesley championed as the founder of the Methodist movement, we affirm a grace from God that is always inviting us and is always beckoning us. This grace is invitational in nature, and it is always present for everyone. And so this jealousy is a, a depiction in some ways of God's desire to draw us into relationship, that God is always moving toward us and is advancing toward us. So in, in the movement of our days, whether we're going to work or school or uh, walking about our neighborhood, we have to remember that, is, that God is always moving to move us, that God is always moving toward us and that God is moving toward every single human being we can see. That's the best way we can express this notion of jealousy. And so what really is left for us is then to respond. We have to either accept and affirm that invitation that God has given us in grace or we reject it. But the initiative is on God's part. 
the choice to receive it is solely our own. Continuing in the same three, same theme is the second oracle. It's verse 3 where we read these words. The Lord says this, I will return to Zion and dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the city of truth and the mountain of the Lord of the armies will be called the holy mountain. God's return and dwelling in Zion are important because exile, the the nearly 70 years the Jewish community spent in this Babylonian exile was in many ways um, a withdrawal or an exit of God's abiding presence with them. And so now as the Jewish community returns from exile, there is a promise that God will come back and inhabit God's people. This idea of dwelling is important. It says, I will return to Zion and dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. This idea of habitation and and dwelling is so powerful and rich, not only in Zechariah, but in other scriptures uh, that have to do with the return from exile. And it's many ways a reference to the house of the Lord being rebuilt. The the temple that was destroyed by the Babylonians is slowly being rebuilt now. And this is the dwelling place of God. And it's a symbol in many ways of vitality returning to the city of Jerusalem and vitality returning to the relationship that God has with God's people. Now remember, Zion is the name of the mountain where Jerusalem is located. So when we're talking about Zion and Jerusalem, for the most part, for the most part, we're talking about the very same thing. In this case, it talks about the city of truth, that the the city of Jerusalem would become a city of truth, according to the translators of the New American Standard Bible. There's actually, I believe, a better translation of this, and it's the word faithfulness, that it would be a city of faithfulness or trust. And the question here is whose trust and whose faithfulness? Is it a celebration of the people's faithfulness or God's faithfulness or maybe just a little bit of both? And then the second part talking about Zion is that Zion will be the holy mountain, the mountain of righteousness that the people will be set apart for a distinct purpose on this mountain. And it leads us into a key passageway here. And it's this, where God is welcomed, there is a new frame of faith. That's an odd way of saying it, I know, but follow with me for a minute. When we we begin to see here is that the relationship with God produces a fruit. And the fruit, in this case, by God dwelling in the city or on Zion, it is redefined. It now becomes a city of truth and a holy mountain. So if this is true, then what we must understand in Zechariah's message here, that God is speaking to the people and to us, is that we have to put primacy on our relationship with God. In other words, the relationship we have with the Lord has to be the defining principle of our life, and thus it will define who we are. All things begin with this relationship being foundational. This is a a God who is drawing close and wants to be close to God's people, and so we have to hear this carefully that God wants to be in this fellowship with us as a community. And by doing so, who we are as a community is really redefined. There's a third oracle in this text, and it's verses 4 and 5. It says, The Lord of armies says this, 
old men and old women will again sit in the public squares of Jerusalem, each person with his staff in his hand because of age. And the public squares of the city will be filled with boys and girls playing in its squares. You know, Zechariah, in his prophecy here, now points to a picture of a future age when this relationship that we've been talking about with God is properly aligned. When we talk about things in the future age or the, the age of eternity, there's a theological word we use for that, and it's eschatology. And in this case, this is an eschatological vision that Zechariah is having. In other words, an eschatological vision is a vision of not just the future, but it's the end of all things. It's the perfection of all things, if you will. It's not, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a sign of God's presence. It's a, it's a change. It's a shift in what's happening. It's a, almost a snapshot of what things might look like in the very future. And it's beautiful. Old men and old women in the square of Jerusalem now, to be old in the ancient world, and especially within the Jewish community, meant not only wisdom, but also a degree of frailty, hence their walking sticks. And so it was always, though, a sign of blessing. Those who were older or more mature were considered to be a sign of blessing for the family or the community that they were in. Now, remember, it's not just that they're older. We have to be honest. It's that they're old, that they have their staff in their hand. They need a, a stick to be able to help them walk. And it's a sign of rich blessing. It's a sign of vitality coming back into the city of Jerusalem. And then in a similar way, the prophecy tells us that the public squares are filled with children playing. There's no fear of their circumstance or their situation, that boys and girls are playing together in the very same squares. And this is just simply one of the most delightful visions of the covenant with God being fulfilled. And in many ways, it's a vision of heaven for us to sit with maybe for a little bit that we sometimes imagine. Uh, the the end of all things and eternity is a kind of a, a, a difficult to describe kind of mystical and magical thing, which certainly it is. But this vision is so concrete. It's just delightful. Heaven is a playground where there are children playing and and old people sitting about offering their saged wisdom. It opens a key passageway to us. That God's presence brings blessing and harmony through generations. You know, this image of a playground just, just can't be lost. Both young and old are together. And in the ancient world, this Jewish culture... To have the young and the old there was a sign of tremendous blessing, multiple generations together. And as for me, I just delight in this image of a playground, and it helps us, even as God's people today, the church, align ourselves better. We are to be communities and places where young and old, really at the poles of wisdom on the one hand and innocence on the other, thrive. A multi-generational place where all are valued. Then there is a fourth oracle. It's the oracle of uncertainty. It's in verse 6. The Lord of the army says this, If it is too difficult in the sight of the remnant of these people in the, those days, Will it also be too difficult in my sight, declares the Lord of armies? 
You know, the, the fourth oracle that's given here by Zechariah is this word of God that comes forth that says, um, you know, it, it calls into question the utopian picture we just read about of the old men and women in the square with their walking stick and the children playing. And in a sense, what's happening here is God almost predicts our cynicism and our disbelief that this could actually come to be. I mean, imagine if you were the Jewish community, having returned from nearly 70 years of exile, your homes have been destroyed, your land has been taken, all of your religious symbols destroyed. You're, you're really in a place of desolation at that point in time. How would you receive this word? And the, the rhetorical question comes, is it too difficult in the sight of this remnant of these people in those days? The language here beckons us back to the story of Abraham and Sarah and the prediction of Isaac's birth that Abraham and Sarah were quite old when that word came to them. And so they laughed, especially Sarah laughed in disbelief that this could happen. The challenge which emerges for the exiles is that the vision, of course, here is unrealistic. How can this possibly be? But you see, that's the hallmark of the prophet's message. This, that's what the point is. Things as they seem appear so far away from the picture that's just been painted. So what's being questioned is not the certainty of circumstance. Well, that's known. They could walk around Jerusalem and see the ruins of their city, the remnant of who they used to be. But what's being questioned here is the certainty of God's promise. Notice how verse 6 ends. It says, will it also be too difficult in my sight? Is what God says. It opens up another key passageway for us. That God's vision for us challenges our certainty in circumstance. You know, our lives are built on processing circumstance and situation. We typically roll from one to the next. This new situation has come up. This new problem has to be solved. This new uh, uh, moment has erupted in our lives. It could be a crisis or it could be a kind of an eruption of a long brewing problem. We oftentimes just roll from one thing to the next. And I think oftentimes we as people lose sight of how reactive we are, living in response always to what is happening. And what we're reminded of in this verse is important is, is that nothing is too hard for God. So where will we place our certainty that something crazy is going to happen tomorrow that's going to throw life off track? Circumstance. Or are we going to place our certainty in a God of promise? That's the challenge that's offered to us. An invitation is for us to rethink where we place our certainty on a day-to-day basis. And then finally, in verses 7 and 8, we read the fifth oracle about a future community. It says that the Lord of Armies says this, Behold, I'm going to save my people from the land of the east and the land of the west, and I will bring them back and They will live in the midst of Jerusalem and they shall be my people and I will be their God in truth and righteousness. God's work is saving people from the east and the west. There's nothing really specific about the locations here and what that verse is trying to name. It's simply just naming the fact that God is going to scatter his people. I mean, he's going to gather his people from abroad. And it's just really a recognition that God's people, Israel, have been 
actually scattered abroad, not only in the exile that happened uh, during the Neo-Babylonian Empire, but uh, over a hundred years earlier, the northern kingdom of Judah, I mean, northern kingdom of Israel had been destroyed by the Assyrian Empire and scattered abroad around the ancient world. So there's this notion that God is going to gather all of his people together, that God is going to be gathering them all together as one, as it was said in the very first oracle, that God is jealous for them. Jerusalem is to be their dwelling place. And this image of Jerusalem in Zechariah is important. It becomes kind of the, not only a centerpiece of geography, but in some ways Jerusalem becomes a symbol. It becomes a, an idea of what it means for God's people to have unity. And Jerusalem in that sense leans into much of what we read at the latter part of the New Testament Christian scripture in the book of Revelation. Jerusalem is depicted as the place where God will have this final habitation. It, it's not necessarily designed to convey the literal city of Jerusalem as much as it's designed to be the symbol of place where, where God is in union with God's people. Why? Because it's the historic dwelling place of God. It's where the tabernacle was, the temple was located. It's where all of these things used to be. So there's this implicit understanding that Jerusalem is the is the point of incarnation. It's the point where, in some ways, God uh, meets us. It is a holy place, a thin place, as the Celts might describe it. What's unique here is that as this passage closes, there's two quotations from other prophets. For example, when you reread at the end of verse 8, that they shall be my people and I will be their God. That's a quotation from Jeremiah in the, the covenant that God would make with his people, that they should be his people and they will be their God. And then also it's saying that, they will, that I will be their God in truth and righteousness. This is a quotation from the book of Isaiah. And it also hearkens us back to what we read early on in this passage of scripture when it talked about uh, this jealousy that God had for the people and that there would be this redefinition of Jerusalem, that it would be the city of truth and a holy mountain. Those same words are now used here again in verse 8. I'm talking about truth and righteousness. It opens the final key passageway for us. That the destiny for God's people is eternally in relationship with him. These visions of the future in Zechariah are a deep encouragement to us. Here we read not only of the hoped-for future for the Jewish people, but we read of our future with, in, and for God. So our, our focus is drawn to these visions of the future in communion and community. For us today, this is what we seek to frame in our churches. In other words, the the, the embodiment of the local church, whether it's small or large, is supposed to be a reflection of much of what the prophet is describing here, of what it looks like for God to be in habitation with his people and the implications of that habitation, what it means to be in that kind of close communion together. It's such a rich image in Zechariah that we find played out again and again in the New Testament, not only in the teachings of Jesus, but the writings that come later uh, in the book of Revelation, there's so much rich material here that helps us understand that God's destiny for us as a people is to be eternally in relationship with God and to have that closeness, that intimacy 
that sense of community and purpose. What a rich promise for us to lean into. If you have comments or reflections, I invite you to visit my website, revcraig.com. You click on News on the upper right-hand corner, and then the drop-down menu will appear, and you'll see the word Podcast. Select that. Then you can click on an individual episode and leave a comment. I'd also encourage you to visit our church's website, ffmc.org, firstfreemethodistchurch.org, to learn more about free Methodism and how you can connect with our community. For now, I bid you all grace. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next time.